welcome to the On Iowa podcast. I'm Leah Van, the Hawkeye beat writer for the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And today we have the unverified closet Nebraskan David Eichholt from 24-7 Sports. Yep. So I'm really excited. David, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'll tell you what, that was a much nicer introduction than I thought I was going to get. So it's all good. I'm very thanks for having me on, Leah. Yes, you're... Um, did the unverified hurt a little bit? Honestly, at this point, it's just sort of one in, in one ear out the other because it's so overused at this point. Uh, you know, maybe get some new material, but uh, other than that, we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like we should have some sort of reference to Pop Smoke, Juice World. I think what we need to make clear to everyone is not everybody knows, but you are actually a Juice World uh, Juice World is your number one yeah. rapper, not yep. Pop Smoke. No, it, it, like, here's the thing. Like, I guess to clear that up right away. Yeah, I mean, I, I had, I think I had 23,000 minutes of Juice World last year, <laughs> according <laughs> to my Spotify. Uh, yeah, so I don't even think Pop Smoke made the top five. It was sort of a, I don't know. It is kind of funny how that whole Pop thing Pop Smoke came about. didn't make the top five, Hawkeye Nation. I don't think so. I know. You heard it here first. Pop Smoke did not make the top watch, five. Watch it. Watch. She's going to be like number two or number one, two or three this year. And then it's just going to be, all right, well, you know. Hey, David, you know, what I, you know what I need you to do? I think what? I think you need to uh, verify that for our listeners. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. Sick. <laughs> This is this is going about as well as I thought so far. So Leah, oh goodness gracious! You know it's funny. But, I'm trying to think about, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, it was Mark Morehouse who told me that the two of us should do a podcast together, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh okay. And I think that was the moment when I did follow you on Twitter. But apparently, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, you <laughs> followed me. And then you unfollowed me until yeah. I followed you back. Is that is that correct? I don't know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not very good at verifying things, apparently, Leah. So I'm not sure if I really can. Uh, so David, I, I, I can either confirm nor deny. I can neither confirm nor deny the report per sources. Well, and I think you got offended because I haven't <laughs> liked. What is it? Three of your last Instagram posts. <laughs> it's fine. It's cool. I just gotta. I just gotta step up my game. Apparently. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess I'm either a terrible friend or it just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I guess we should. uh, What? I say, yeah, I'll just, I'll just keep trying to step it up. Yeah. I I think you should. I mean, aren't you clearly, aren't you um, raising the standard? Uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. That's an interesting phrase. Uh, No, I don't think I've ever heard that before. I may have to use that somewhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of raising the standard, we are going to break down this spring football, wrap it up, tie it in a bow, because this is the last time we will see this team for a long time, for a couple months. And then we're going to talk some NFL draft. So mm-hmm. let's start off with spring football while it's still kind of fresh in our minds. I mean, I feel like it's fading. It kind of faded with my runner's brain on Saturday. But what were your takeaways from Saturday's open practice? You know, I think it's tough to really take too much away from spring practice. I mean, obviously, we have to, it's our job to overanalyze everything. I think the number one thing, though, is that defense is going to be legit. 
I mean, I know it feels very early to say that, but the secondary has really impressed me. I think Riley Moss is poised for a big year. I mean, he was arguably one the most impressive player, I think, uh, in both spring practices. Had an interception in each of the practices, pass deflections. And, and I think the defensive line, for as much uncertainty as there is there, uh, there are guys stepping up across the board. Even, we didn't even get to see some of the guys that we wanted to healthy. I think of guys like Yahweh Black, who – I think he's going to be the starting right defensive tackle. He's going to be a major part of that team as well. Lucas Van Ness, I thought, played great. Maybe he steps into that backup defensive end role. Um, but the defense, I think, across the board in general, there's a lot to be very excited about. And I think the linebacker room especially, um, to touch on that, I think Justin Jacobs got better, noticeably better over the course of spring ball. I think Jack Campbell's poised to be one of the better linebackers probably in the Big Ten. And as far as the offense goes, spring football is good for them. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I don't know how you feel about this. I always feel like the hardest position group to sort of analyze in spring football is the offensive line. I almost typically expect that to be a shaky it, it, wherever you go to school or how much experience is there. And I think there's no exception what happened. I think the offensive line was shaky. But keep in mind, they're trying to replace two starting tackles and they have uh you know a new coach in george barnett who i think is going to be a very very good hire based on the earlier reviews and sort of at least some film and stuff we've seen um about him but i i think there's a lot to take away but at the same time there's also a lot more questions that need to be answered and i think including we'll get, probably get to this the, the starting quarterback because i do yeah. think there's going to be a legitimate battle here i mean i, I think maybe i'm in the minority here I don't think there's going to be an actual quarterback competition but I did want to touch on this thoughts on the offensive line um they were not looking amazing on Saturday and I couldn't tell if it was this is another thing about spring football is it's your own team and so I was wondering like oh is the defensive line that good or is the offensive line struggling right I mean you obviously have Tyler Linderbaum at center who's very consistent but they're also a lot of people out and I don't know. It just seemed like Tyler Goodson was struggling to get some good yardage at first and he kind of found his stride. And I always kind of, when it comes to the running game, I always look at the offensive line, right? Because it's, you know, that's kind of what makes the running game. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but I also know this is Iowa. The offensive line is going to be solid. It's going to be fine on time. I thought the defensive line looked awesome and I know that I was going through my interviews with Zach Van Valkenburg and you know he was saying oh there's still work to do but it was kind of funny because I think we were in the little scrum and one of the reporters asked him like do you think that the defense defense won today and he kind of stuttered he's like well I don't um eh." and then he's like there's still work to do I'm like yeah the defense won today come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I I think Kirk Ferentz's quote summed it up best. And this is sort of my thought when it gets to this point in spring ball is at some, at this point, the defense knows the offense better than the offense knows the offense. And I think, especially when you look at how experienced that secondary is and that linebacking group, and then you have a guy like Zach Van Valkenburg at edge. I think that's just true. And I think on top of that too, you have to keep in mind, it is worth noting that Tyrone Tracy didn't practice on uh, this final spring practice, Nico Regani. Iowa's probably number two receiver has been out. So they're working with some new pieces there. And I think when you're dealing with a defensive line that knows what plays are coming and all that, no matter how great of a running back you are, 
you're really not going to be able to get the, the yardage rushing. I think that's what we saw Tyler Goodson do. So I think the offense definitely made some strides, but I think it's, it's sort of a mixed bag, right? It's like, how much do you actually take away from it? I think it's good talking points, but I think we're going to know a lot more when it comes closer to the season, just how much spring ball actually helped. Because I think the, the thing that I try to look for in the spring ball, Lee, I don't know how your process kind of works with it. I compare, since we got two open practices, I went by, okay, what did we see two weeks ago and how much better did they get in that two week span? Because that's sort of that growth that you kind of want to see. And I mean, you can think of some players, I think right on the spot I mentioned, I think Justin Jacobs got better. I think Kevon Merriweather, I, I think he's going to be a big breakout star in that secondary, just based on his athleticism and his size and now experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's just kind of my two cents about it is I think that the offense just, while they know what to do, I think the defense, again, just they're so used to practicing against them. So it's not like a normal season, right? Like a game week where they're giving them different looks against scout team, practicing against who they're going to go up against. For the last month, they've just been playing uh, against their own offense, their own defense. And I think at some point the defense, I'd be more concerned if the defense didn't sort of take over at this point. That's a good point. And I think the secondary looks solid, like Kevon Merriweather. I mean, great playmaker. You mentioned Riley Moss. I thought they both, and like they both had a good spring. I was disappointed. We didn't really get to see Matt Hankins because I think mm -hmm. he was out for both practices. Um, and then, I mean, there were some members of like the defensive line and the linebackers that were missing, but even whoever was there on the field really just like did the job. So, and I think it was Kirk Ferentz who said, yeah, I feel pretty confident about the backfield, like having a solid, like, six starters, you know, that he can probably name off the top of his head. Um, yeah, I want to talk about this offense, though. And, um, you know, how much can we take away from spring ball? I think the offense, the way I see it is it's going to be inconsistent. I look back at, like, Texas's spring ball, and, I, you know, they're not remotely the same team at all. But I will say it was kind of a similar takeaway in which, like, the offense struggled, but the defense was pretty solid. Right. And so maybe you're right on when you say or when Kirk Ferentz said was like, you know, the defense knows the offense better than the offense knows the offense right now. And so um, I don't know if that's just part of how like spring football practice works. But to me, you know, the wind didn't help. Right. Like mm -hmm. there were a lot of passes that were either overthrown or just kind of carried by the wind. What I will say about Spencer Petrus is like normally when he's like missing passes, it's like not anywhere in the vicinity of where it should be. And I feel like this time I was like, okay, if he missed a pass, it was an incomplete pass. It was at least in kind of the right place. And that was what Ferentz was saying on Saturday. So that was, I also could be attributed to the win. I think he has pretty good chemistry with Sam Laporta and I really would have loved to have seen Tyrone Tracy, you know, throw down out there. But, you know, that just circumstances like did not give us that opportunity. And then, um, yeah, I mean, he was pretty solid with Charlie Jones and Max Cooper, who I know are pretty kind of I know Charlie Jones is pretty much a returner kind of guy. And Max Cooper has dealt with injury and is pretty far down the lineup, you know, and uh, but. I thought that Spencer did well, given the conditions that he was playing in. I was not super impressed with the two other quarterbacks. I don't know what your take was. 
So, I mean, I mentioned earlier that there's a quarterback competition, quote unquote. I do think Petrus could be the star when week one comes about. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, Deuce Hogan or Alex Padilla is going to sort of rise up to that. But I will say this. Alex Padilla, I still think, was the most impressive quarterback out of the two in both practices. I think that – I think Padilla's command of the offense right now, not that it's on a different level, but the dude stepped in, and granted, it's spring ball. I mean, you probably should step in with that sort of confidence, and Spencer has the, the game-starting experience. But the crispness of Padilla's passes, I think he throws a nice tight spiral. Uh, he's not afraid to escape the pocket. He looks comfortable throwing on the run. And I, what I kind of saw of Spencer that gives me at least sort of, you know, kind of a red flag in my head was all spring ball. We've talked about how the goal is for him to get rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or less because the stats and are just substantially better, right? When he gets rid of the ball quick. And I think with Iowa lining up so much in shotgun, I think there's an emphasis to really get the ball out quick. With that being said, though, there were a handful of times on Saturday where I think he was so focused on just getting rid of the ball that he didn't go through his progressions. I think the one wheel route to Tyler Goodson, I think it only lasted like 1.8 to 1.9 seconds, maybe two seconds at most. Didn't really look at any other options. And he threw it into double coverage to Tyler Goodson on that wheel route. And that's a pick. And it probably would have been a pick six had it been an actual game. So that's something that kind of, you know, strikes me as I don't want to say odd, but those are the type of things that'll cost you games, especially early on when you look at Iowa's schedule, when they host Indiana, and then they go at Iowa state, which, it's kind of crazy to think about those two schools aren't typically powerhouses when it comes to football, but these would be two top 15 teams going into the season. So I, yeah, I think that's something that gives me a red flag. Deuce Hogan. I still think, I think, I think Deuce Hogan's upside is there, but I also let the deuce loose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to forget us making that up. Anyway, I think Deuce Hogan's upside is incredibly high. I still think he needs another year to really develop. I, but I do yeah. really like his skill set and his physical makeup for what an Iowa offense and what they like in an Iowa quarterback to be. But in short, Spencer Petra still did some good things. I think he's showing a little bit more touch on his deep passes, but he, he can't rely strong. I got to get rid of the ball because if that happens, defenses get picked on that. And that's just going to lead to interceptions. Yeah. I mean, I would rather, especially if, if the offensive line ends up being as strong as it is, like you, Take your time, just a little bit. And I know that, uh, you know, like I know the stats, but, you know, this isn't money ball, right? Like football, mm. it, it, some of the stats are like, yeah, this is useful. And sometimes like, uh, maybe we can't money ball this. So I don't know about the whole mm. 2.5 second release. I know, I mean, I've seen the stat about it, but I don't know if that's a coincidence. I don't know if that's a true trend, causation, correlation thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I... I will say Padilla does have a crisp spiral. I will agree with you on that. I will agree with you that he's better on his feet. So if, if there's it's, if there's a play that seems to be collapsing, I think I would put Padilla in over Petrus, right? So Because sure. I feel like he's going to find that hole and he's going to run the ball at least like two to three yards rather than just going down, right? Um, I think Deuce probably will have the biggest arm and I'm biased because I'm from Texas and I think that that is – like something that we we just do well in Texas. I mean, you look at all the NFL quarterbacks in the past that are from Texas. They are big time pocket passers. So um, I I think that he does have a lot of room to grow. He definitely is not a starting quarterback this year. I think that's like pretty mm-hmm. solid 
to assume. Um, you know, I was really impressed with Gavin Williams this mm-hmm. spring ball. I'm really excited about him. And I know we've got Ivory Kelly Martin coming back and we've got Tyler Goodson. I don't know. I'm kind of like wanting to see a little bit more of him kind of want to see a little bit of Desmond Hudson, a wide receiver, or, you know, one of these young guys like he, Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce. I mean, some of these younger guys were kind of just exciting to watch. And maybe it was just because they're like, this is my chance to play in front of fans right now. So I don't know what your thoughts are on some of these young guys. Yeah. I'm happy they brought Gabby Williams because I think he was one of the more impressive players in spring ball. And I mean, so I scouted him a few times in high school uh, when he was at Southeast Polk, when he went to Dowling Catholic, the amount, the amount that he has grown from just a pure running back perspective is pretty crazy in this short of time. So back in high school, he was a very straight downhill up and down runner. Couldn't really juke out anybody. Not that he had quick feet, but he just didn't have that sort of natural shiftiness that we see like a Tyler Goodson have. Right. The, the play that stuck out to me was in that first spring practice. I don't know if you remember it. I think it was an 18 yard touchdown where he, you know, yes. I think it was a halfback counter and he cut back and I just didn't ever see him do that in high school. And right then it's kind of eyebrow raising like, okay, he's actually starting to really piece it together. And he's a strong kid. He's a fast kid. I think he's a very, I, I, I wrote about this a couple of times, but I said, I really think that when Ivory Kelly Martin comes back, I think Gavin's going to really push for that number two spot. Not that Ivory can't do some good things on the field because he can. He's a very fast runner. He's got that shiftiness. But Gavin right now brings something different to the table in this running back room. I think is I think the running back group as a as a whole needs to improve receiving. I don't think. I mean, Tyler's a very hit or miss guy, and he he even self admit like, yeah, he needs he needs to continue to develop his hands. But I really think Gavin and goal to go situations third and short I think he's the guy that can really really make some big plays happen maybe he's a guy that gets you know 10 to 12 carries Tyler Goodson gets 20 to 25 then you throw in Ivory Kelly Martin in that bunch but I, I like you said I was very impressed with him in both practices I think he made standout plays in both and as far as Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce I thought Arlen Bruce had a great second practice I think he had more opportunities granted yes. um I, I I think you already know what play I'm going to talk about but that that pass that got deflected he caught and went to the five yard line like that's just that's just a football player type play and that that's was how you awesome know. can we it like can we just crazy. like emphasize that play real quick because yeah i don't think it was meant for him right Mm-mm. who was it that tipped it off was it luke lachey i think it was lachey i don't think it was laporta i think it was one of the backup tight ends it might have been yelverton i i don't want to say it was one of the younger it was one of the younger guys though it was meant for one of them mm-hmm. the ball like deflects off of their hands just and then Arlen's just like yeah I'm just gonna grab this and run into the end zone it almost it looked like backyard football mm-hmm. except it was like it was just I mean it was so fun and I was like there's a playmaker there's a guy who's really really trying to show off and is having fun with it number one number two I mean that's a ridiculous play mm-hmm. right it is. And the thing is, too, you got to remember about Arlen. He's still a new receiver. I mean, for his first three years in high school, he played a Wildcat quarterback and played running back. Then when he got finally eligible when he transferred to Ankeny High School, they moved him to sort of a running back wide receiver hybrid. So this is his first real full year of actually being, and not even a year, a semester of being a wide receiver. And I've been impressed with what he's done. And Kelton Copeland and Kirk Ferentz and them have said the same thing. And I, I'm writing about this. I'll have this article out later. But one of my big takeaways from this spring, 
Keegan Johnson's going to be a part of the wide receiver rotation. I, after watching him both practices, hearing all the praise from him, I don't know what your thoughts are about it. I don't know how you keep him off the field. I know Nico Regani is going to come back and have one of the top spaces. Tyrone Tracy obviously has to be a number one guy. Charlie Jones is probably still slightly ahead of Keegan. But, I mean, Kirk said after the practice, the final one, that Keegan's on that same level as Desmond Hudson, Deontay Vines, Max Cooper, and those guys. And when you look at the tape and you sort of think about at least my notes from uh, the Cold Spring practices, Keegan brings something different. I think he is going to be a big playmaker uh, in this offense. Not that he'll start this year. I don't think he will. But I'm talking about maybe he can – I think he can emerge as high as the number three wide receiver on the team. I think he's going to be at least so number too. four. Like Keegan's upside is – I don't want to put too much pressure on, but his upside is incredibly high, especially for a Kurt Ferentz-type wide receiver. Like Keegan does a lot of things well, and I think the maturity he has shown throughout going through spring practice and everything, I, I think that's seriously going to help him as far as just translating from spring ball to summer workouts to fall camp and on the field in, in, in the fall. I, I think there is going to be a big spot for him. Well, and I think it's funny because both of those wide receivers kind of have the blood of being an NFL caliber, like, or, you know, big playmakers. I, I mean, Keegan mm-hmm. comes from actually your alma mater, Nebraska, here, his dad won the national championship. Um, and then, you know, Arlen Bruce, I think his dad plays Canadian football and, um, so it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say it's in their blood and, you know, not have them work hard, but I will say what I like about Keegan is like, he seemed very steady. Um, you know, he was not going down on the first tackle. Like he's the kind of guy who can extend plays, which is really important to an Iowa offense that Brian Ferentz says will focus on shorter passes and accuracy and relying on those playmakers to make those plays. I think Arlen has tremendous footwork. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think both of them honestly could be in contention for that third wide receiver spot. And I think Kirk Ferentz was saying that on Saturday, he was like, it's anybody's game right now. Like it, that third position is really up for grabs. And I'm just trying to see who's going to work for it. And I think that Charlie Jones had a really great game. And he looks great, but I don't know. Kirk was really alluding to him as mainly a punt returner. Um, and I know how much Charlie really wants to be more contributing more at the wide receiver position than he has in the past. But again, it's pretty stacked, you know, Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regani when he's back. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what unfolds on the field this fall. I like your, uh, by the way, up for grabs, wide receiver. Nice pun. Anyway, yeah, 10 of 10. I, pre- I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, like you said, here's my thing too. And here's, this is on the record. So I'll make my first hot take of the 2021 oh, is this season not, right now. Is none of this on the record? Is this uh-huh. off the record? Yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah, you're funny. We're on a podcast right now. Ty- Tyrone Tracy will be Iowa's first all Big Ten wide receiver since 20. 20- I believe it's 2011 or 2012 and Marvin McNutt had it. I think that Tyrone's skill set is going to be on full display this year. And I have, I have high, I'm not saying first team, but I think he can be a second team caliber, third team caliber. I think he's got all the tools and I think he can put it together. Um, especially if they're going to, if they want to go quick offense and quick passing. I mean, Tyrone's the guy that extends plays. He's got that size, strength and speed 
that you want in one of the, in some of those wide receivers. So I think there is that, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more needs said about the wide receivers other than there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of high, I think high potential guys, but it's all about how do they utilize the work in the spring and ultimately how is it get transition on the field on Saturdays? Because we always see guys that ball out in springtime. We always hear about, Oh, he's a great practice guy. He's really working hard. And yes, that does count for something. You shouldn't dismiss that. But what's going to matter at the end of the day? It's the product that's going to be put on the field on Saturdays. So I think these guys have potential to translate to Saturdays, but it's all about are, are they going to be able to do it? Are, you know, I think that it's going to be very interesting. I think I, I do think we're going to see a different sort of Iowa offense, as crazy as that sounds. Yes, they're going to be you know run first, pass later. But as far as the passing game goes, I do think they're trying to revamp the pass game a little bit. Uh, whether it's for the good or bad right now, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if we uh, if we throw out our conspiracy theory right now because I will say on the Tyrone Tracy topic, I will agree with you on that because I remember watching him one of the few games that I saw last year when I was interviewing for this job and I was like, why don't they play this guy more? <laughs> like literally, I, I saw him catch a couple passes and I was like, this guy seems to be like really good. I just he only got two plays like this game or two passes and um he really made something of it um but yeah I don't know like how many wide receivers did I count on the roster what was it close to like 15 and then well we're at like yeah seven or eight tight ends so I don't know are we what if in a crazy crazy world what would you do (laughs) with this offense if you were Kirk Ferentz what would you do like how would you change this up Here's, here's why I'm curious about what they do with Tyrone. I want to know what position they're going to play him. Because if you look back when he was a redshirt freshman, when Brandon Smith got hurt for the last five games of the year, they put Tyrone at X where Brandon was, and Tyrone balled out. He played the best football of his career. I'm talking 80, you know, 80 yards a game, uh, sometimes over 100, had a couple long touchdown plays. He'd be an undersized X, but ultimately, again, it's going to be all about the production there. And he produced at that point. So maybe you throw Tyrone at the X you throw, you can mix in Nico and Arland in that sort of slot role. I think you throw Keegan where Emir Smith Marset would play. I, I think that the way his route running is, I don't think Keegan's the fastest straight line guy, but if he is a crisp route runner, he's got reliable hands. I think you throw him there. Um, I, I think there's a number of options there. And as far as the tight ends go, I'm really excited about the room, but you there's just so much unanswered questions because they have some of the highest ceiling guys they've had in a while. I think at least as far as recruiting goes and how that sort of translates. Like I think Elijah Yelverton has a very high ceiling. He looks like he, he, the second he walked onto campus, he looked like a college ready tight end. I mean, he's six, five, two fifty, strong. Luke Lachey was an all American uh, tight end in high school. His dad was an uh, Ohio state Buckeye, all time, great offensive tackle, offensive lineman, and he, I think he'd be a great red zone threat. But then you have Sam Laporta, who has shown flashes as well. So, again, I think the tools are there. But if I had to make a change, I don't know what they're doing as far as this goes. I think Desmond Hudson's still not ready. Maybe not to his fault. We heard what happened with him last year as far as having to isolate three different times due to just contact tracing of COVID. Yeah. Um, and I think he had a minor injury. I really think you explore the possibility of playing Tyrone at that X especially since he showed what he can do against big 10 quality defenses. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we should move on to the draft. Um, but yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been a, it's been fun to have spring football. I'm actually like kind of, I'm missing it this week. Uh, I'm like, I was, I was like, Oh, tomorrow I have press conferences. No, I, I have none. So, um, I have nothing. Yeah. Uh, everything just got <laughs> super boring and, uh, now I yeah. don't get to watch football for a while. Um, but yeah, such a tease draft. too. Such what a tease. What was like the biggest shocker to you um, in this NFL draft? Like, was it the Davion Nixon, you know, kind of moving down or what? I, I think that obviously has to be one of the one of the top two things. I'll say that I think it ha- I'm not going to say it's Davion just based on recent draft buzz going into it. I'm going to say it's more Chauncey Golston going in day two. I think it was a good pick on day two, because I think if you just look the year by year improvement, the starting experience, the sort of tools that he has and the type of teammate that Kirk has publicly said, all of his teammates have rated about Kelvin Bell and you heard he crushed his interviews. I think it has to be Chauncey going day two. I think it was a well worthwhile day two, but I mean, we heard Chauncey going as late as rounds five or six even as late as a week or two ago. So hearing himself a nice paycheck, I think he fell into a really good situation. I know you were thrilled and that might be underselling it a little bit when Chauncey got to uh, <laughs> Chauncey got to Dallas. Uh, context, but... um, I'm going to interrupt <laughs> you up for context. Got a little emotional. Uh, well, it was also like, so I, I called David and I was like crying because I was like an Iowa player got chosen by the Dallas Cowboys. Like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to write about a guy from Iowa getting chosen by my favorite NFL <laughs> team. And I spoke too soon because guess what? Brandon Smith signed with the Cowboys as free agent. So, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they heard that Iowa, they're like, our favorite Texas girl is up in Iowa. You told me that you had Jerry on speed dial. So I assumed you took care of it. I assumed you took care of it. Totally. Uh, But yeah, I I don't know. I I think it has to be Chauncey though. I mean, again, I think it was a good pick. The Davion thing still surprises me a little because you just look at the dominant performance that he had uh, all season long. I mean, big 10 defensive player of the year doesn't lie. Now, before I say this, this is in full context. This is from people who I've talked to in the know as far as the NFL scouting world and the stuff that I have read. This is not my criticism. So before, you know, Iowa fans might come after me when I say this, there was some skepticism and speculation about Davion not giving full effort every play. They took plays off. Yeah, he was outstanding when he was fully integrated in the play, made big plays happen without doubt, big playmaker. But there, there were worries around NFL circles that the motor might not be there and he did take plays off. And I ultimately do think that was the reason why he did fall off some draft boards. Yeah, I mean, we can never know what goes on behind closed doors. And that's why these mock drafts are always kind of a joke. And that's why sometimes your post-NFL draft grades are also a joke because yeah. there's only so much that we can really find out. And I think we're finding out less and less about these players over time. And what we do know is his resume the resume and like how he played this past season and the progression that he made from 2019 to 2020 seasons, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, we know how much better he got, but we don't know the other stuff. Right. And so 
I don't know. I, I thought it was I thought it was shocking that he fell as far as he did. Um, I don't know how he fits in with the Carolina Panthers, but I'm you know I was happy to see him go on a team. Obviously, I wrote a big profile on him and um, got to know his family really well. So I you know I wished him the best on that. Um, sure. And then you know we've got Amir Smith Marset making history. First Iowa wide receiver to be drafted in since 2012, right? Since mm-hmm. was it Marvin McNutt? I think it was uh, Marvin McNutt went in the sixth round. I think he was Carolina. Is it, it was yeah. either Carolina or is the Eagles one of the two? I think it's the Eagles. Um, and then I think it is the Eagles. Yeah, and it was um, there was that Mike had a Michael Oz had a uh, column on it today on. Mm kind of the history of this, but it's the fourth wide receiver in the Kirk Ferentz era to be drafted. Um, It's going to be interesting because, you know, obviously there's more wide receivers coming through the Iowa program now more than ever. And I don't know. I wonder if this is the start of something, you know, what are you, what's your take? I think Tyrone Trace is getting drafted. Number one, I don't know when he goes, but when he goes, I think I, I think it'd be ridiculous to not have Tyrone drafts. On top of that, too, from all indications, he's, a, he's an outstanding kid. Um, I, I covered him in high school a little bit, talked to a lot of people in the know around the Indianapolis area. Him and his family are just very highly respected around the area. And we've seen what he can do on the football field. You know, I, I think that, yeah, it's you need to give Kirk some credit, but I will say one of the most impressive coaching jobs I have seen across college football, at least since I've been following college football, is what Kelton Copeland has done with the Iowa wide receiver room. When he got to Iowa four years ago, there were two scholarship receivers on the roster at the time, just two. One of them never even caught a pass. The other one was, I think, Matt Vandenberg was the other one. And the way he's been able to recruit and develop guys like Amir Smith-Marset, like Brand Smith, to get a Tyrone Tracy, to get a pair of four-star receivers in the 2021 recruiting class by 24-7 Sports and Brody Brecht, who I think will be a playmaker down the line, especially within the red zone with the attributes that he has. I think you need to give Kelton Copeland a lot of credit. I think he's still a young coach. I think he's got very, very high upside. Um, I, I think that there might need to be conversation for an expanded coaching role on the offensive side. Uh, in the future, just based on what he's done. But, I mean, you look down the Iowa roster, I mean, there's a number of guys you can see getting drafted. Again, I'll go Tyrone Tracy. I think, like you mentioned, Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, I think are possibilities as guys who, okay, they're off to a strong start. If they can continue to piece it together, stay healthy, and stay on the upward trajectory, we'll be talking. Again, super young guys, this is not to put any pressure on them, but they're doing the right things at first. And clearly, if they're running reps with the ones and twos constantly, like they have been, they're, they're doing something right. So I think you need to give Kelton Copeland a lot of credit there. And if Iowa can continue to sort of expand the offensive game and put the wide receivers in a playmaking position, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it is kind of crazy when you think about how many guys Iowa does put in the NFL and, you know, one of the most common positions that schools are known for is what? Wide receivers and defensive backs, right? And Iowa just has not been able to really put guys in the draft through, through the wide receiver position. But I think it's going to be a long process still. But I think they're in better hands than maybe they've been in, in a long time. Um, yeah, and I remember I've spoken to a couple of recruits now that I've done some of those recruiting spotlights and people like Brody Bragg say, talked to like Arlen Bruce a little bit. I've talked to Keegan Johnson. 
And they all were very sold on Kelton Copeland. And, you know, I remember, um, I just feel like they were all very sold on what he was selling. And I don't know how you sell, you know, wide receiver at Iowa, right? Like, how do you sell like that to a recruit who's like looking to be a playmaker, right? So that I do, I do want to know a little bit more about how he was able to kind of build this position from the ground up, it seems like when he got on campus, uh, like to what you were saying. And um, yeah, Amir Smith Marset was, he was picked ahead of Davion Nixon actually by like one pick with Minnesota Vikings, which is mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I don't think any of us would have predicted that. I think we were all kind of like, oh, maybe. And I know that him being a returner was a big boost yeah, to his yeah. draft stock. And I think that you know, the versatility that Iowa preaches when it comes to all of its positions, but especially to wide receivers, you know, you can't just run, you can't just jump, you gotta be able to do it all. And I think that that's going to bode well for some of these guys who are looking to continue the trend of Iowa getting, you know, wide receivers drafted into the Mm -hmm. NFL. I'll say this too about Amir. I think once people got a chance to really look at the tape about what he did last season, I think the stats are a little bit deceiving because Iowa's inability to complete the downfield pass game was a big part of that. But you can go back on the tape and just watch his one-on-one reps. He was getting open downfield. And he, while it doesn't translate over the stats part of it, I think it still plays a significant role when scouts actually have a chance to go watch your individual film. It's like, okay, well, if the quarterback – uh, it was in a better position to be able to get him the ball there, like an NFL starting caliber quarterback. Emir has proven that he can catch and create big plays. He's created so many dynamic big plays. So, I mean, how many of these lists were like, oh, Emir Smith-Marset could be a late round steal. I mean, it really felt like in the last week heading up to the draft that so many people were talking about that. So it's surprising to me he still went before Davion, I think, but about where he went. that's not really surprising. And I think that it's such a good situation for him because there's such a need right now in Minnesota for a third wide receiver. And I think if Amir can come in and, and take advantage of his opportunities, I'm interested to see if he will be able to stick on that roster. And to go back to how Kelton Copeland sort of revamped this Iowa wide receiver room, I think a couple of things keep in mind, at least from my perspective, one, he had changed the culture of it just in terms of, you go to Iowa, okay, you're going to be blocking. Like, there's no no way you usually get watch, pay attention to you, no swagger, do it, whatever. I think Kelton Copeland came in and just said, look, this is my room. I'm going to make the most of it. He's established a strong culture. Just sort of changed the mindsets of a lot of these guys coming in. He's a young, relatable guy on the recruiting trail. And you've gotten, I know you've gotten the chance to be involved in at least one interview with him. I don't know if you've, you've been with two or not. I mean, he's he's as impressive as they come when it comes to speaking with the media. He's articulate, he's honest, he's transparent, and there's a lot of depth into what he says. It's nothing you just take at surface value. He's a guy that I think really cares about. You talk about a guy that cares about getting into coaching and doing it for the right reasons and really just has a love and burning desire to do it. I think Kelton Copeland fits that mold, and I think when he's on the recruiting trail with these high-caliber sword receivers who have offers from places – it does resonate with these guys. And I think the relationship aspect is so, so prominent to it. And I, I will bring this up too, not to dwell on dwell on this, but Iowa kept these guys after everything that happened last summer. And Keegan Johnson's been very outspoken and said, look, 
my relationship with Kelton Copeland is the reason why I stuck with Iowa and I never wavered because he was honest with him. They, they, they said such a strong bond and a strong relationship. And I, again, I think that does go a long way when you establish a culture and you establish sort of that mindset that you're coming to Iowa to be a wide receiver. It's not like it used to be. It's revamping it and making it cool and modernizing it. And I think that's exactly what he's done. Yeah. I think Keegan had spoken to me and said that, you know, he was confident there's a train coming and interrupting this podcast. I apologize if someone can hear it. Um, yeah. So there was a, uh, I think he was saying that the coaches were very open and honest about how they were going to go about changing the culture and making it a more healthy environment. I do want to bring up some of these little facts that I'm pulling from my Colossus article um, that he wrote today. Um, just two Iowa running backs have been drafted in the front in the 22, in 22 years. And one of them being Liddell Betts who is now a running backs coach at Iowa. So that'll be interesting is, you know, if we see Tyler Goodson being drafted next year too. Um, And then we've got Iowa is tied for 16th in the NFL draftees over the past, over the last five years. So with 20, they've had 20 players. Um, So that's more than any other program in the big 10 West and fourth most in the conference behind Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. So, you know, even though Iowa didn't have somebody within the first three rounds, three rounds. Chauncey. Yeah, Chauncey was in fourth. Okay, still trying to remember. Um, no, yeah. Cha- Chauncey was Chauncey was in third, wasn't he? I was he a third or was it at third? Eighty fourth overall. Pick. It would be third, right? Yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, yeah, it was a third. It was a third. It's third pass. So there we go. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, but then the Hawkeyes haven't had a skill position. That would be quarterback, running back, wide receiver, player taken in the first round since quarterback Chuck Long and running back Ronnie Harmon in 1985. Um, so yeah, I mean, we know what I was known for, but I'm also wondering you bring in Betts as a running backs coach who knows how to get this done, knows how to be, um, be at that next level and then you've got Kelton Copeland who's leaving leading this wide receiving core and I wonder if we're going to start seeing more skilled position players come out of Iowa and go into the NFL especially running the offense that they do whereas like you know the offenses down south don't always translate to mm-hmm. um, the NFL especially since you know you've got running backs up here they gotta learn how to catch they gotta learn how to block they gotta learn how to run right you know like mm-hmm. they can't just do one thing I'll say this too. And we we've heard Kirk Ferentz countless times over the years say, Hey, we run it like an NFL team. And that's also why a lot of those guys translate the NFL. And that's why even GMs and scouts will say Kirk Ferentz team, like guys don't bust because they get in there. They already know what's going on. There's really not much of a transition. Um, and as far as, you know, by the way, I, again, I think the Liddell bets higher. I thought it was a home run. Like, yeah, it was an obvious sort of pick. I think, I think when the running back job came open, there was some speculation about Liddell. Uh, despite not having a lot of college, I mean, zero college experience, but the resume don't lie. And I think you asked him about the transition going from high school to college when he hasn't really been at college. And I think his answer is completely fair minded and, and just real when he said, you know, I was, a, I was, I, I played at a high level at this program. So he knows under Kirk Ferentz, he knows the culture already. He knows a lot of the people within the program. He knows the offs. 
He played it at an extremely high level and he got to the NFL. Those are all such big selling points, in my opinion, especially on their recruiting trail. I think the hardest part for him, I think he said it too, as part of that answer is what are the rules and logistics about going on the recruiting trail? What stuff can or can't do? Um, but again, as far as Iowa young, exciting, relatable coaches with a wealth of football knowledge, I really think that they've continued, especially over the last year and a half or so, they've really nailed down these these guys that are replacing. I think George Barnett's an outstanding hire when you look at his resume. Like I said, Liddell Betts, I think is going to be a very good recruiter and he knows the position. He knows what it takes to play at a high level in the Big Ten Conference and in the NFL. So those are some crazy stats though. I mean, it's not I will I will correct myself because I kind of stuttered on one of them. So um, yeah, just two Iowa running backs have been Mm -hmm drafted in 22 years so that's Liddell Betts and Sean Green, Sean Green. So that was 2009 for Green 2002 for Betts um by the way um the Hawkeyes have had a player taken in every NFL draft since 1978 so it's 44 years in a row um Michigan State just had its streak snapped on Saturday at 80 right 80 years yeah look at that trivia question almost feel like you should join us for our uh, ultimate um hosting with DraftKings. so y'all sign up um are we yeah. really quick are we ever gonna be able to get rid of your y'all accent or are you just gonna super modernize that in the iowa oh we're, we're not getting rid of it i don't think i have that much of an accent though no 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 but the y'all i mean the y'all is gonna be there forever all right, I figured. What, you think I'm gonna say you guys like use guys? Like, what do y'all say? What, use, you hey, use, use, well, okay, people? who who or says do you use not guys? Have enough friends to walk up to a group oh of people like y'all. Oh my gosh! All right, y'all. Like, well, I just think people be like y'all. <laughs> Whereas, like, I can walk up to my posse and be like, "Hey, y'all, how's it going?" I don't know. Yeah, we cannot yeah, verify I, yeah. whether or not David has friends. <laughs> All I'll say is. I'm roasting you about that, and I will 100% catch myself saying y'all a few times, and I'm going to be mad every single time I say y'all now. Is y'all, like, it is not an exclusively Southern thing. I have heard it in the Midwest. I have heard it in Colorado. It's really not. It's a a Southern staple, though. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) But, But, no, I mean, like you said, uh, as far as like the skill, uh, I did want to bring this up to go back to the skill position, guys. I know people will scoff at this, but it's a reality. Oh, I was no. recruiting better. Like they're recruiting, they're recruiting at a higher level than they have been over the past few years. Their trajectory is up. And as a result, you're seeing younger players get more time early. And I don't think that that's a, uh, don't think that's a coincidence. I mean, I was 26 say, last year by 24 seven rankings. When you say recruiting better. In what context would you say better players overall, or would you crack it up to like in terms of stars next to their name? I think they're, I, I think it, it somewhat goes hand in hand. I think they're getting guys that, that still fit the Iowa system, but they're landing more up targets. I know they, 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 they struck out on tight ends last year. They struck out on, on running backs last year due to obviously different reasons. But again, look at the wide receivers. Who are the two wide receivers already making waves in this in this group? 
It's the two four stars, 2021 guys. They were 26th in the recruiting rankings last year, which is one of the highest in the Kirk Ferentz era. I think only 2000, I think 2005 was the last class that was better. And I think they were ranked sixth or seventh overall at that time. Um, but Iowa over the last four years has continued to get better and better. But I also think that correlates into getting guys like Kelton Copeland in the mix, like Derek Foster. Uh, we'll, and, and Tim Polisek was a great recruiter for Iowa, all the guys that he's brought in. So, you know, I think George Barnett has some pressure in that regard, but Iowa offensive line typically does sell itself. And the defensive line, I think, is starting uh, to kind of get to that point. But again, Justin Jacobs, four-star All-American guy, Luke Lachey, All-American tight end. So it doesn't take anything away from Iowa's development, but I still think it's worth noting that Kirk Ferentz, while he's getting older, I do think that they've done a good job for the most part of adapting to modernizing the recruiting process to, to get guys that fit the bill. And these guys are coming in more ready to go. Yeah. I mean, and uh, like you said, offensive line, defensive line selling itself. Another fact I will pull up is Iowa has had 10 first round picks under Ferentz. Five were offensive linemen, three were tight ends, and the others were a linebacker and a defensive lineman. So Again, that is the reputation that has shown, that has been proven to excel here at Iowa, but that certainly could change. I'm excited for Liddell Betts to do some maybe Southern recruiting. He's got some footing in those Florida schools. Florida high school mm -hmm. football is up there with Texas, like just as good. And, um, you know, if you can sell some of those guys on the winters up in Iowa, I don't know. It could be like a menacing team that we've got here on our hands, but we've got to wrap things up, David. I do want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I do want to ask you for people who are out there. Is it 24 seven sports or is it two, four, seven sports? What is it? It's, it's 24 seven sports, but I mean, it, it's sort of just whatever. I think people know what you talk about when you say two, four, seven or 24 seven. I just stopped correcting people. I'm like, okay, well, that's it. I because I think that's what it makes sense, right? You're cranking out articles 24-7, drinking way too much coffee and other things. <laughs> I don't so. know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you're literally just brought a mug. Does, is there coffee in there? Or are you like literally? No, there's coffee. <laughs> All right, David, tell people where better. they can find your content, which is pretty obvious, but uh, yeah, plug your stuff. <laughs> Yeah, HawkeyeInsider.com, 24-7 Sports. Find me on Twitter at – my unverified Twitter, by the way. Yeah, unverified. No Eichel, blue mark. At, at, <laughs> at David Eichel uh, and at Hawkeyes on 247. Leah, I've had fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have you back uh, again soon. And thank you all for listening to the On Iowa podcast. You can check out my content on thegazette.com. And stay tuned. We will be having a podcast with the field hockey team on Wednesday, who just made the final four in the NCAA tournament. So uh, y'all have a good one. Bye.